Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rock it back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 4, The Mystery of the Broken Statues, is one of the hosts of the Heroes Home Base podcast, Rich Wagner. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again. I'm excited. Always a pleasure. Always great to talk with you. You've been on my other show, Digging for Kryptonite. Uh, you're kind enough to have me on your show. And yeah, it's always great to be able to compare notes with a fellow George Reeves Adventures of Superman fan. This is the first time you and I are really talking about this. So yeah. I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. So The Mystery of the Broken Statues, again, season one, episode four, aired October 10th, 1952, written by William Joyce, directed by Tommy Carr. And our synopsis, as always from the DVD sets, Lois Lane is kidnapped while on the trail of a suave but deadly criminal mastermind and a hidden priceless gem. So that's the episode that that we watched. Before we get into our overall impressions, I'll begin, as I always do, by asking about your your history with Adventures of Superman. How, when, where did you find it, and what role has it played in your Superman fandom? So it really reminded me of... I don't even know. I think I got a VH te- uh, VHS tape back in the day. Not this, but just as much Superman stuff as I could get in like the Max, what is it, Flexinger, or I can never pronounce his name, the cartoon. Oh, Fleischer. And like the first time that I saw an episode, it just reminded me of that because that whole intro, it just reminds me of those cartoons and stuff. Um. I was really excited when I got them on DVD. I can't even, whenever they came out, um, however many years ago it was. And uh, it's, to me, it was the 50s Lois and Clark. And after growing up watching Lois and Clark, and this is, you know, centered around in the 50s, and this is really a kid's show. And uh, I really dug deep after the uh, Hollywood Land movie came out with uh, the George Reeves thing. And then my kids love it. And it's great to see a show from, from that era that they can relate to and like it. And, but season one and two are, are still my favorite for sure. Cause I love the black and white. So I've been a fan of it since I first saw it. I'm like, Oh, I got to get more Superman checked off my list. So for sure. Love it. That's awesome. That's become a, a running theme with virtually every guest I've had so far. And I'm always envious because as I've talked about, you know, the first time I watched it, it didn't really grab me. And it was only within the past couple of years that I, I, I came around and I was like, oh my goodness, like, this is amazing. And, and I, I echo what you said, uh, the first two seasons, the black and white years, yeah. far and away my favorite. But you know, when we eventually get to the color years on the podcast, it, one way or the other, uh, regardless of kind of where I land on the episodes, the the podcast will be fun. I promise. And I'm excited to because that's the er, that's the era of the show that I've I've not seen everything. I've seen mm-hmm. probably about a quarter or so of the color seasons. So okay. I'm you know I'm I'm excited for all of it. Heck yeah! Anything Superman, buddy. Well, very true, very true. All right, so the mystery of the broken statues. I will admit. What? show was just getting off 
getting their feet wet, weren't they, with this episode? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the thing that's so fascinating is that, you know, the, the episodes were not aired in the order in which they were produced. So it's it's hard, you know, to gauge, you know, the progress of the show by watching by watching them in their in their airing order. But yeah, I mean, I'll say this episode, and I'll, you know, we'll save our, our final uh, rating for the end, but I definitely, I remembered this episode more fondly from, from my first viewing a couple of years ago, and then re-watching it for this, and I watched it twice. I always watch them twice for these episodes. Yeah. And honestly, I think out of all the ones that I've done so far, we're only on episode four, but this one was was a little a little I don't want to say a dud, but it it didn't really grab me the way that the others have. Even something like the Haunted Lighthouse, which I was you know we had a whole discussion on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so, what were your overall impressions of this episode? And did they change at all from from your memory? I've seen it. This is probably like the third or fourth time that I've seen it. Um, it's to me. I don't want to talk negative about it. It it wasn't anything memorable but it just i don't know like you definitely got to see lois who always seems to be in the right place at the right time and um i don't know overall i i liked the it almost was like the ending was perfect but it would i wish it would have just been a little bit more um more filled up before we got to the end i guess is what i'm saying and how many times could Clark break, break chalk when he's trying to figure out the, what is it, the Rebus or Romp, whatever the <laughs> term is for it. <laughs> you could tell they were probably filming for like 12 hours straight. We're like, we're not cutting this. Just just keep going. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I I made a note of that. I jotted that down as I was writing. It's like, it's really struggling with the chalk. The multiple times, the piece is breaking off. And yeah, they, they just, they just power through. You got to appreciate that. I, uh, I'm a huge Honeymooners fan. Okay, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that that I always, you know, as a kid, but even more so now as an adult, and especially knowing more about how they made that show, you know, Jackie Gleason was not big on rehearsing. Like, the rest of the cast would rehearse, but he wouldn't because he liked the spontaneity of of that first performance. And, you know, sometimes stuff would go wrong. And some of the best, most classic moments are, are things like that. So... Not that the chalk is in that category, but it just kind of called that to mind for me. So, uh, yeah. yeah, like little stuff like that I, I do like. Yeah, I would say that the things I suppose that like really stood out to me, uh, Clark has a really great, confident, authoritative moment when, when not Superman, but when Clark apprehends uh, two of the underlings uh, yeah. around the midway point or so of the episode. And I love, like, I love that version of Clark. And I yes. love the way George Reeves brings him to life. So that was cool. You know, Lois has a great moment where she smashes the statue over uh, over the yeah. mastermind's head at a certain point. So like, there were a couple of cool moments. And there's what I what I thought was uh, a very interesting series of scenes with Henderson. Yes, with Clark and Henderson in particular. And we'll you know we'll dig into all of that you know when we get there. But I would say the the Clark moment, the Lois moment, and uh, and the and the bits with Henderson. Uh, really stood out in mostly a positive way. So there was definitely stuff that I liked about it. And I do think, you know, one of the things I've been talking about is, especially in these early episodes, you know, is the episode representative of the season and the series? And, you know, something like The Haunted Lighthouse lost some points in my book because it really wasn't. It was such an outlier. Yeah. 
Um, this, in fairness, I think this is a pretty, like a pretty standard, straightforward episode. You don't have Perry, you don't have Jimmy, but other than that, it's Lois and Clark investigating. We need the last minute rescue by Superman. I mean, it's, I feel like it's a, you know, like just right down the middle sort of episode. Yeah. It's a good filler episode. <laughs> That's the way I kind of looked at it. Yeah, no, 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 fair enough. And look, as always, if you love this episode, that's awesome. And l- let me know. It's funny too, because, you know, I mentioned the Haunted Lighthouse a couple of times. Uh, I had Tyler from the Krypton Report on for, yeah. for that episode. And we had a great conversation. And, you know, I think in the episode and definitely off mic, we were saying like, well, we, we feel like we were like really generous to, to the Haunted Lighthouse. But I've heard from a number of people who thankfully listened to the episode, appreciate it. But who said, like, I really, like, I love The Haunted Lighthouse. It's this great, you know, it's this great episode. So that's awesome. And I love to hear that. Even if, you know, an episode didn't light my fire, it's great if it did for for someone else. So, all right. So overall impressions, uh, let's take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll go scene by scene through the mystery of the broken statues. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail-order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. All Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit AllYeahComics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Aw Yeah! Hey everyone, if you're new to my work and you like what you're hearing, I hope you'll check out our sister podcast series, Digging for Kryptonite. 
Over two years and nearly 100 episodes, we've been exploring Superman across time and media with thoughtful discussions about the creative visions that have shaped the Man of Steel. Digging for Kryptonite is available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe today and remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. And we're back. So listen, while we're while we're plugging and, and all of that, uh, do you want to tell folks about the Heroes Home Base podcast, what it's about and where they can get it? Uh, we're on pretty much everything. Uh, iTunes, Google. Um, oh, I'm missing the big one here. Spotify. Am- Spotify, Amazon. Yep. We're, uh, oh God, season whatever, season four, I think by now. I lost count. I should know because I do everything for it. Uh, but it's just me and my twin brother and my buddy Mark, longtime friends, 20 plus years, goofing off talking about comic books. And uh, anything uh, pop culture, comic book related, stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, anytime we don't have any suit, we got a couple artists, I think, lined up here pretty soon. And then uh, we'll do, obviously, New York Comic Con, we'll do a review on that and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we'd uh, appreciate it if you listened and uh, subscribed and hung out. We're on a, uh, we were doing like three times a month and now with Mark's crazy schedule, we're pretty much limited to about once a month now. So that's all you can really commit to it living in the big city. So yeah, I appreciate it. If you'd listen. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing and I hope people will. So, all right, let us get into the mystery of the broken statues here. Uh, so we begin with these two well-dressed gentlemen uh, walking into an art craft shop. Now, you know, I, I certainly am familiar with the idea of an antique store or an yeah. arts and craft store, collectible it shop. Like, it's like art craft. What is it? Art craft. Art craft. Yes. Yeah, I was but, like, is it spelled wrong or what? <laughs> Go on. Sorry. No, no, that's but like art craft. No, that, that, that did uh, that did catch my attention. I, I assume that's more of a more of an old timey thing or be, yeah. or, or a regional thing. I've, I've never really come across something called an art craft shop, but essentially like an antique store. Yeah. And these guys go in and they make their way over to these uh, these 10 uh, plaster animal statuettes and they begin smashing them. And of course, when the owner comes over, they uh, they pay for the items, which you know puts the puts the owner at ease you know, for the most part. And they don't find anything and they head on out. And uh, right after they leave, Lois Lane, intrepid reporter, shows up, not not for purposes of a story, but she's picking up uh, what seems to be like a, a photo she had framed or something like that. Yeah. Something like that, Because uh, the owner has us. And of course, he asks about, well, you know, what, what was this mess? And he recounts to her what happened. And, you know, he's not upset about this. And, you know, that was one of the things that uh, that registered with me in this scene, and even more so in a later scene when this happens again at another art craft shop. Uh, the couple of owners here that we spend time with in these couple of scenes, you know, not only are they not bothered by the fact that their wares have been shattered in this way. Right. Like they're they're they almost welcome it. What, yeah. what was what was your take on that in 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 this or the end or the later scene? It was awkward. I think that uh, initially they're happy that the guy the first scene he's happy that they paid for it, and I'm just like, are you going to charge them to clean up their mess? Like, what is this all about? It was weird because it was like, oh, it's no big deal. They paid for it but why are you selling something that you don't even value at the same time? That was kind of alarming to me. Like, well, I'm just, you know, selling crap. And as long as somebody pays for it and they want to destroy it, that's fine. That was a little weird. Maybe, you know, 
I don't know if it really added to the to the story, but it was it was awkward to me. And then, but you know, hey, they got a profit, but hey, pay me another dollar to clean up your mess. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's that. There's the mess aspect that none of them seem to care about. And, you know, I don't think it's a totally unnatural response. And it provides a moment for, you know, a little, a little humor there, especially with this with the latter owner who uh, is like, you know, come back whenever you're in a destructive mood. You destroy whatever right. you want as long as you pay for it. You know my history uh, and, and maybe some members of this of our audience here do. I worked at a comic shop for many years, ultimate ultimate collectibles store. And yeah. that's just what I had in my head when I was watching this, because it's like for all of the overstock we had, for all of the stuff lining the shelves and the back issue bins that, you know, maybe we shouldn't have ordered or we shouldn't have ordered so many of, even still, if someone came in and was like, I'm going to pay you for these, but I'm going to tear them up. I, I think as, as fans, as people who care about the material, like I just... It would be so antithetical. And again, I know this is a different realm that we're talking about here. It's not comics, but that's just what I had in my head when I was watching that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. Uh, it's but, hard not to relate it to uh, your experience. I think every, you know, not everybody's worked retail in some form or fashion. I think everybody should to get a perspective. But it would be completely ridiculous to witness this, even if you paid for something. <laughs> You know, I, I forever remain grateful, you know, obviously for the comic shop experience specifically, but for the retail experience. And there are yeah. a lot of times where, I don't know, like if I'm out with my wife and it's, you know, we know that a store is about to close, you know, so she might be like, oh, like, let's run in. And I'll be like, no, no. Like, <laughs> I'll be like, I know they're like probably closing out the register, like yep. trying to get out of there. Because I've been like, I know that feeling of just being ready to go. And like someone walks in with five minutes to spare and it's like, come on. So. Uh, yeah, invaluable experience. Well, you're still open, technically, uh, and no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, for sure. I feel yeah. like we're going to go off topic here. I just want to make this comment because you just sparked it in my head. You know how, like, certain countries, you know, it's required that you join the military or whatever like that. I think the United States, you should be required to do at least six months in retail environment. I think it would go a long way <laughs> for customer service, and it would go a long way for your attitude when it comes to dealing with the public like that. It's true. There's a lot of, you know, value in, you know, again, walking a mile in someone else's shoes and, and just, yeah, no, I, uh, I'd get on board with that. I think it's a good, ex I, I think know. it's a good experience to have. I don't know. I'll get us back on track in a second, but you know, I don't know that I'm, that I'm doing podcasts. If I, if I didn't spend all that time behind the customer, the, the counter at the store, talking to all yeah. the customers and everything, like it definitely opened something up within, within me. So, uh, yeah, it's a, a fantastic experience. Uh, anyway, going back to the art craft shop here. So Lois picks up her frame. She gets the story about what happened here. Uh, she needs some, I believe she said China egg cups, if, yes. I, if I heard correctly, yeah. uh, which this guy didn't have. But he very graciously directed her to another art craft shop, which I thought was nice. The competitor down the road. <laughs> yeah, but like, again, going back to the comic shop, we would do that too. We had a number of shops yeah. like right around us. And, you know, we didn't do sports cards, but there was another store that did. And, you know, we would always send people down. And, you know, uh, so it was, yeah, it was nice to see a little camaraderie within the art craft community here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just led to the story, though, because she wouldn't have ran into the other guy who was actually cleaning up his mess. <laughs> yeah. He, so she goes to the next place. Right. And she sees this, the, the other owner, like you said, cleaning up, you know, he's carrying out his you know dustbin to the trash outside. He's the only one who doesn't look happy. Right. 
right? right. Of all the owners we see, he's the one who's kind of like, oh, I can't believe this. And, uh, and she has a little fun with him. She's like, let me guess what happened. And she, you know, rattles off everything. And she's like, I'm a mind reader. And she walks this, you know, I feel like adding insult to injury. Like this guy just had this experience of his merchandise destroyed, even if he was paid for it. Uh, and then this reporter comes up and, and, you know, you know, just kind of messes with his head. <laughs> I'm like, thanks dear. And then at the, when it, the scene's cutting, she just, he's just like thinking, well, maybe she is a mind reader. <laughs> like good job, Lois. I know, you know, you think about that guy, like when he went home at night, right? Talking to his wife about his day. It's like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> Until Clark or Lois wrote about it in the Daily Planet, he would be like, oh, okay, that's where it came from. So this is a string of things. <laughs> yeah, eventually he'd get to the bottom of it for sure. So from there we go to the Daily Planet where Lois is making some calls. She's finding out that this has happened at a number of other art craft shops. Uh, same type of thing where these little animal statuettes are being destroyed but paid for. Uh, Clark comes in and, uh, you know, I have to say, I've said this before, I'll continue to say it on the show. Uh, as much as I love Noel Neal in the subsequent seasons, you know, Phyllis Coates is is my preferred Lois on the series, at least ding, now. Ding, 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 correct. You know, we'll see over the course of the six seasons, but I, I just, I love her. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask who you preferred. It's it's co- I love her take on it. I assume you do as well based on your reaction yes. to. <laughs> I like the I I don't know like nothing against, but she just has that intrepid reporter like serious. She's not like she'll joke around or whatever, but she just you know radiates like Lois Lane intrepid reporter. Let me go get let me go jokes aside and get the story. So she definitely was my pick. I was going to think about that. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, uh, it, it, she remains, she remains my pick as we make our way through these episodes. And again, I love her take on Lois in and of herself, but the tension, the chemistry between her and Reeves, the -hmm. thing is, you know, look, the show wasn't built for a romance. Like you said, we would get that in the new adventures of Superman decades later. That's not what this show was here for. And there's not much on the page. Yeah. But the way that they deliver those lines and sort of volley them back and forth, it's like you j- even these like just these little moments where he's sitting on her on her desk and she's like, you're not going to believe this. And he's like, well, they're, cl-, you know, and he already knows. Right. Because someone had one of the owners had called looking for 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 them to do a story about it. It's like a staple for George Reeves to go in and sit on Lois's desk <laughs> yeah. with his uh, with his pinky ring. Right. <laughs> Which I, which I clocked and I know, you know, I know we'll, we'll continue to see that, but, uh, this was within these first few, uh, the first time that I think I really noticed it. And, you know, it's not something you would typically associate with Clark Kent per se. So it's interesting to see that, you know, George Reeves and and his style, uh, bleeding into the character with that pinky ring. You know, Clark's got a little flair. Yeah. Bling, bling. I like it. So, you know, Clark's, you know, Clark's one step ahead. He already has a sense of what's going on. And, you know, he's pretty, I would say pretty not like that not to, not to cut you off, but it's like, I like that interaction because they are still, I don't want to say partners. They are, but they are still trying to, it it feeds into that, you know, competition between the two of them. Like Clark's like, well, yeah, I already know I'm a mind reader, (laughs) but I don't know. Like, I like that interaction kind of just piggyback off what you said. Yeah, totally. It's like he already knows. He's pretty nonchalant. He's like, well, clearly they're looking for something. And then I I love this bit. You know, Clark will get 
vastly more invested in what's going on as the episode progresses. But at this point, Lois is like, well, listen, I'll go to these stores. You go to those stores. We'll buy some statues. We'll see if we find anything. And he literally is like, oh, Lois. Like, Come on, just like, Lois. can't be bothered. <laughs> Which was great. I just, I love, I love their dynamic. I love the banter. It's terrific. Yes. I was just going to say banter. <laughs> yeah. Now, this next scene, we're, we're outside and the, 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 the crooks, right? They see Lois leaving another art craft shop with, uh, with, with the statues. And the underling says, that's the dame, boss. Yeah. Did I miss something? Why were they looking for Lois? Like, why did they make that connection? Um, I kind of thought of that, too. Because maybe they went behind her and they were looking for the statues and she already bought them. And maybe there was a question of, uh, do you have any of these crappy statues? And they said, oh, no, some lady just bought them. That was kind of a missing piece. Uh, I guess we're just supposed to infer that that's that's how they got on her trail, I guess. I, I assume so as well. I think your reading is is the most accurate and realistic and believable one. Uh and I think that was something that probably took my second watch last night where I was like, wait a minute, yeah. like, <laughs> why uh, that line? I, I agree with you. I feel like there was a little something missing. And what's so odd to me is you that got left on the cutting room floor, you know what it's like editing a movie or a show. <laughs> I do, but although it's funny, I don't get the sense that this show like <laughs> shot more than they needed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, there's a scene coming up later on after Lois. I know I'm jumping ahead just for a second, but where after Lois has been uh, kidnapped and uh, the bad guys have car trouble and the yeah. cop stops them uh, to offer help and they're able to, you know, kind of divert the cops. That to me felt like such a wasted scene. Yep. You know, other than to see, you know, you get another instance of seeing Lois in danger, but it's like, I, I don't know what that added. And I feel like maybe that that time like unnecessary tension like oh are they gonna get caught but it didn't amount to anything it was like it could have been better explained to them going into a shop and saying did somebody already buy these uh yeah and then leaving yeah but anyway so we had this moment where they're on her trail they follow her home so she goes into her apartment she starts smashing the statues and she finds she finds a key yeah she yeah i know i know they you know i guess in, in fairness, they, you know, they really took their time. I don't know if this is a, a positive or negative that, you know, your mileage may vary, but they really took their time. I thought with this scene, you know, she figures out to use her shoes. She goes over and gets, she gets the trash, you know, the trash pail. Right. I don't know. So we're kind of settling in with her. She's breaking these statues and she finds the key in one of them and she calls Clark. I love, I love the idea. And I know, I know why. I mean, not only was it a different time and all of that, but I know the way they shot the show. It's like they were basically in pretty, you know, consistent, you know, costumes, right? Wardrobe. But I just love the, the idea that Clark is just like always relaxing at home in his full yeah. suit. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll be by my rotary phone waiting for Lois to call. Yeah. Just as you do, right? You go home. This guy lives alone. He goes home. He just sits down in his full suit and relaxes. You know, in a, on Dicking for Kryptonite not too long ago, I had Dan Greenfield on. He'll actually be my guest for the next episode of this show. Uh, but the last time he was on Digging for Kryptonite, we covered Superman and the Secret Planet, the comic book yep. adaptation of the unmade George Reeves movie. If anyone hasn't listened to that, please do. I don't know if I even remember to say this in that episode, but in the comic, 
It opens with Clark going home after a long day to relax. And he's, again, in his full suit, just sitting there watching the television. I don't know, man. There's, uh, it's not very comfortable to sit on your sofa with your suit on. <laughs> at least your jacket, at least. <laughs> yeah, it's just even even putting it in the context of the 50s, it's still just like, I, I don't know. I, I, just from my own experience, like I would never do that. Even just take the jacket off. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> No, not in that case. But anyway, so they have this they have this phone conversation. And uh the I guess the the key piece of information that comes out is that um we we learn through, you know, the interviews that they've conducted off screen with the various shop owners that uh these guys who, you know, seemingly aren't breaking any laws, they're going in, they're paying for stuff, they're smashing, uh, ha- are finding these little objects that they're taking with them. An acorn. Yep a safety pin, you know, again, Lois just found a key, uh, cow, three pennies. I didn't get the onion, (laughs) but okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, you know, so we get, you know, we get that, that key piece of information and Lois is wise enough to, uh, to hide the key in her lipstick, uh, right before, uh, the, the, the two main guys break into her apartment, A a little bit menacing. Like, I don't, you would not, this is one of those instances you know, it all happens off screen, but you see, you see them walking towards her and the guy's holding his cane and you hear her shriek. Oh, the, uh, the, uh, but that's like the staple of the lowest scream on this show. I swear to God, they reuse it every episode. Yeah, I know. We're going to get, we'll add that to your soundbite box there. (laughs) (laughs) I know we'll definitely get a lot more of that. So again, it's not like there was even anything overt or shown on, on screen, but uh again, it just had this air of menace that, you know, talking about those color seasons, when we get there, I don't know, I don't know that you would quite even see this. Yeah. Uh, but in any event, uh so Lois now uh is, is is taken and Clark now is calling up Eddie's gift shop. That was the last shop on his list. And Clark's suspicions now, they are, they are aroused to the point where he's like, okay, like something's going on. We got to get to the bottom of this. And Clark's telling Eddie over the phone, he's like, you got to call the police. But again, yeah. we talked about Eddie before. Eddie couldn't be happier that, <laughs> that he was almost joyous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Eddie's like gleeful because it's this- like living vicariously through these two goons. Like, God, I wish I could <laughs> smash all this stuff. <laughs> You know, maybe that accounts for it because, you know, I'm thinking of it in terms of, hey, they they have this stuff that's not selling and they're just happy that it's gone. But, yeah, maybe it's just like this, it, you know, this, this you know, pent up rage or hatred for, for their wares. And it's like they are kind of yeah. living through these guys. Uh, but, yeah, no, he's not having me. I'm not calling the police. I don't need to. So Clark. As he's like fanning himself with the dollar bills. <laughs> yeah, he's really, really making a meal of this. And so, I mean, you know, they're, they're, uh, what are they like 50 cents each that was established in the first scene, yeah. right? They're all cheap, but you know, I guess for the time, it's still not, you know, not, not nothing. Right. Uh, what I thought was so interesting here is Clark changes into Superman. So we get the sequence of him flying classic, you know, our classic, classic. shots of, of him flying, which I guess, you know, he wouldn't. And I know they didn't have the footage of it anyway, but it's like he, I, I guess like this version of the, like he would never fly as Superman, right? I mean, fly as Clark, right? So he's always right. going to change. The, but I thought it was so interesting that he changed into Clark. Yeah. To go into the shop. What, what do you make of that? I loved it. I thought it was, 
and we're gonna I'm gonna kind of go off a little bit, but this this is what came to mind. Like I love Clark as this badass, you know, <laughs> tough as nails type of almost brawler. And uh, I always think of Chris Christopher Reeves where he's trying to hide the secret identity to where he's almost like a goofy buffoon. No disrespect to Chris Reeves. I love I love his version too, but I love the no nonsense Clark, and I liked it. I liked it that he went in there as Clark and not Superman. And it made more sense because, hey, I just got off the phone and then the guy could have, you know, stopped fanning himself with the dollar bills. Like, How'd you get here so quick? But like, I, I don't know. I liked it a lot. I was like, that was probably my favorite scene. And then, you know, now I can call the cops because you just tried to assault me. But, you know, loved it. Probably my favorite part. I, I am with you. Now, I just have to I don't say this to call you out, but we might have some audience members pulling their hair out. You said Chris Reeves. Oh, sorry. It's sorry. okay. How dare I? Chris God rest your soul. I know. I know. <laughs> but I know it's, uh, I know in terms of just the, the, the parallels, what, you know, what, what, what happened to each of them, the similarities of their names. It's, uh, I'm not saying anything new here, but it's uh, always, always stands out. But no, I'm with you, man. Like, that's the thing. And I, 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 I I'm on board. I, I think that probably, in terms of pure enjoyment, the Henderson stuff was more like, more interesting, I suppose. But in terms of pure enjoyment, I think that scene of, of Clark going in there, he's like, I'm Kent from the Daily Planet. I want some questions answered. Questions that need answered. Yes. You know, and they try to, you know, make a move and he just like shoves one of them and he just grabs them. In my memory, I thought he was even more physical with them. Yeah. But it's not much, but it doesn't need to be much. I, nope. Uh, yeah, it's... Again, obviously this came first, but I think for so many of us growing up, we saw the the, the Chris Reeve movies before we saw this. Um, and it's just, it is so refreshing to see this kind of a take on the character in and of itself, but especially it just fits the times. Like this fedora clad reporter in the fifties. It's like, nah, you're not pushing this guy around. Right. Ah, yeah, it was great. That was a great moment. He basically makes a citizen's arrest. He just like, he grabs them and he's like, all right, call the inspector. Yeah, it was cool. You tell that. It was cool. So from here, we go to <laughs> Henderson enters the picture. Again, this episode, we had no Jimmy. We have no Perry White. But we do spend some time with good old Bill Henderson. And, uh, but, you know, before on, I... going to talk about the line. Are you going to bring the line up? The boner line? Yes! <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. This is great. So, I mean, the, the gist of this scene is Clark's you know, again, Clark, Clark's really taken matters into his own hands, right? And now they've arrested these two guys. And Henderson's, the gist of it is like, I have nothing to hold them on, right? They haven't broken any laws that we know of. And Clark's like, I don't care. Like, find some way to keep them. Find something. <laughs> find something. Uh, which, you know, it opens up a whole host of questions about, uh, you know, legality and and morality <laughs> as well. Very, very interesting. But uh, do you want to say the line or do you want me to? You do it. You do it. So what do you say? This is a real boner. He said, this time, Kent, you, I, I even, I put, I wrote it down in quotes. He said, this time, Kent, you pulled a real boner. Now, look, if for anyone out there, please don't think that, uh, you know, it, uh, I have a juvenile sense of humor. I think for the most part, I don't, but this is one exception. I feel like, and you know what I think it comes back to? I know you remember Wizard Magazine. Oh, I'll miss it every day. Yeah, you know, for its time, man, it was it was it was good stuff. But I remember I, do. I have it written 
out. Henderson pulled a real boner. <laughs> yeah, he pulled a real boner, Kent. Yeah, I remember there was an old episode, old episode, old issue of Wizard, and I think they, it was probably a series on, you know, unintentionally funny comic panels or pages. It was probably something like that. And it was an old Batman uh, panel where Joker, uh, you know, makes some remark about pulling a boner or something like that. And I remember as a kid reading that, and I've, you know, especially at that point, oh, it was so funny. And uh, it remains funny to me to this day, uh, just yep, the use of that, of that word in that way, in that context. So, uh, yeah, that line stood out. But you know what stood out even more? <laughs> when Henderson, you know, a lot of very colorful, vivid, evocative language coming from, from Bill Henderson here. He said, these two guys may beat their crippled grandmothers five times a day and ten times on a Sunday. But they haven't done anything now. It's like, all right, buddy, that was really specific. I don't know if that right. was... <laughs> That's a common phrase back in the day, but that felt really specific. Uh, good old Henderson. Yeah, good old Henderson. So I don't know. So he has to release these guys. And and I think it's in this scene where, uh, you know, we, we find out that one of them has been ID'd from one of the descriptions of, of, right. of a shop owner. He's Paul Martin. He's this well-known con man. Yep. Uh, so we get a little bit more information there. But, you know, this it's really about the tension between the two of them. Henderson is like, look, the law's the law. I can't hold them. Clark's like, I don't care. Do what you have to do. It's very interesting because when we visit with them again a little later, it's uh, I feel like Henderson's, Henderson's approach uh, maybe is a little bit more flexible, but we'll get there. Right. Uh, so anyway, after that, Clark goes to Lois's apartment. We get to see him use his x-ray vision. Loved it. And he exclaims, I believe this is the first time in these four episodes, but he exclaims uh, one of his classic uh, catchphrases, taglines. Do you remember? Uh, did I miss it? Great Scott. Great Scott. I was like, great Caesar's ghost. That's Perry White. Great Scott. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. No, it's quite all right. It's quite all right. I didn't mean to set you up for that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to lose all my Superman credit. <laughs> nah, you're good. You're good. But yeah, we had a great Scott. He goes in. The, the apartment's been tossed. And uh, from there, we we catch up with Lois. Lois put up a flight. That that apartment was definitely tossed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was so much that she put, although knowing this Lois, yeah, maybe she did. I, I attributed yeah. it more to, you know, they tossed the place because they were trying to find the key. But like, yeah, knowing this Lois, I feel like she really gave them a run for for their money here. Uh, so again, uh, now uh, they've, she's been taken captive and we see, uh, we see them leading her into this building. They sit down in an office, uh, and they're grilling her. She refuses to cooperate. And like I said, this leads to my, my favorite moment where, uh, yes. she smashes, uh, the guy over the head with one of the statues. Like such a badass yep. moment. I loved it. Yep. This is, this is Lois's shining moment. Just like Clark had his shining moment for sure. And she's no nonsense. I don't care how you threaten me. And he was bleeding pretty good. <laughs> they did a good job. Yeah, it was cool. No, again, you know, we had our moment with Clark uh, apprehending the two guys in the shop. And we have this moment with Lois. Those are the two, like, those are definitely the two highlights for me of this episode. Yes. I guess I really like when these characters get tough. <laughs> that really yeah, stands out. For sure. <laughs> uh, then we're back at Henderson's uh, office. Real quick scene. Uh, they didn't find any fingerprints at the apartment. Clark is, now Clark is really... Yeah, I mean, Clark is really, you know, he's, he's worried, he's impatient. I love, that's the thing, I, you know, it's not that, it's not that Reeves Clark is like defined by this, but I, you know, I always come back to the word impatient 
with him. Yes. And I like it. I just like this energy that, that he has. But it's not that he is impatient, but you can tell that, you know, the gears are turning upstairs and he's always trying to figure something out. And I like that. And George Reeves pulls that off very, very well. Not a lot of people just in your mannerisms and just your, you know, your body language. Like he puts an exclamation point on that. And you can tell that, you know, he sells the scene every single time. Like, I got to figure this out. Like what's going on? Lois is, Lois is missing. Like you can, you can feel the anguish. That's probably one of the best things I like about his performance overall in the series. That's a great point. It's believable. It's true. Yeah. And he is doing that even when he's not speaking, right? Like he's st- like, he, he's always doing something and you really feel like it. a lot of people would think it was like dead air. Like to go back a, a second, like when Lois is smashing the statues in her apartment, like there's no dialogue. The music is going to carry the scene and you're, you're, you're there. You're supposed to be there watching her break all this stuff. But it's like, if there's no dialogue and there's like dead air per se, you can, he sells it very, very well. Like you can tell he's thinking and you're, you're like, and I mean, we're, we're getting carried along too. like, okay, what is the deal with these statues? And like, we're trying to figure it out the exact same time that Clark is trying to figure it out. And George does a really good job of, of leading you along, trying to figure it out. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, from there, we go to the scene that I complained about earlier, where uh, they they move Lois, and 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 the at the end of the prior scene uh, with the bad guys, uh, the con man did find the the uh, the key in her lipstick. Yes, uh, a lucky break Good hiding there. place. I, I have to give her credit for that. Yeah, you give her a lot of credit. I mean, I don't know. Do I? It almost felt a little too easy that he that he realized, but again. I don't know. As this con man, he's probably done similar things. And so he's thinking in that mindset and it is the right, you know, shape and size. So I, I, I'll go along with that. Right. So, you know, this again, now we're at the scene that I, I talked about before where they're moving her, the car won't start, the police are coming by, you know, uh, I, again, like you said, it creates a little bit of tension and it breaks up the scenes in Henderson's office, but I, mostly I just felt like it was a bit of a waste. Right. Yeah. Just so we could see Lois with a gag in her mouth and, you know, like held at gunpoint. It's like the prerequisite. <laughs> right. Right. But then after that, we go to uh, far and away, the most interesting Henderson scene uh, in this episode where uh, one of the underlings has been brought in. Right. Does he beat his ass? I got to ask that. <laughs> that's so that's the thing here. Um, we'll, we'll get a quick cutaway to, uh, to Martin and the guy and, and Lois, uh, driving to the airfield, right. Cause they're going to put her on right. a plane. But for the most part now, for the next few minutes, we're staying with, with Henderson and Clark, uh, in, in the office here. And so they bring this underling in and, you know, Clark and Henderson are, uh, you're trying to get information. Like where, where would Martin go? Where would he take Lois? And this guy's not talking. Nope. And Henderson rolls up his sleeves. I'm like, Oh man. <laughs> He rolls up his sleeves and he says, you want to play tag? We'll play tag. I'm going to use that with my kids from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, again, he says, you want to play tag? We'll play tag. Then we cut away to them driving to the airfield. But then when we cut back to his office, the bad guy. Sweaty mess. Sweaty, disheveled. You don't really see the effects of it on Henderson. Of course, his sleeves are still rolled up. It's not like he's got bloody knuckles or anything like that, but. Uh, the, the guy is a mess. Clark is as nonchalant as, as can be. Right. But they've gotten, or they, they still haven't gotten the information. It's, I think that's finally the threat of, uh, 
this would be the third strike for the guy. So like the threat of being right. sent away for life, like that finally gets him to talk, which was an interesting message. Like you, like, like trying to beat a confession out of him, like ultimately didn't work. What is your take on Henders? I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, I don't, I don't think we have to do too much reading between the lines here. Like it's pretty clear Henderson beats this guy. I mean, what yeah. is your take on Henderson? And I guess even more so Clark going along with this. It was, to me, it stood out. Of course, we're looking at it through a lens of 2022 and modern. Like when, why would a reporter be allowed to be in a police interrogation situation? I'm like, damn, Henderson, you're uh, <laughs> definitely don't want to do that. But I think that uh, Clark was just trying to get his own answers, and that's why he's nonchalant about it. And uh, it was kind of alarming. I was like, man, did he just beat him up? And uh, not that I'm, I'm saying that I don't like Henderson and I don't like that he would do that for information, but man, we don't, we don't need any pre- police brutality here in front of a reporter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's that aspect and you're right. I mean, of course we're coming at this from a modern lens and look, to be honest, I mean, my, my, my point here isn't even like, you know, how could they do that? I mean, look, it was, you know, 70 years ago. Um, right. I'm not saying it's right, but you know, I'm not, I'm not here to be like, oh, the show was wrong for this. It's like, no, I, you know, it, right. it was what it was. What's fascinating to me is again, I think what I, what I feel like is Henderson's turn, right? From in the beginning, he's like, he won't even hold these guys because he doesn't right. have cause, but now he's fine with, with beating Beat someone. The crap out of him. <laughs> so that's a little hard to reconcile. And then the Clark portion of this, you know, Nine episodes from now, this is episode four. We get to episode 13, the stolen costume. Okay. Well, you know, I think one of the, one of the most well-known episodes of adventures of Superman, where at the end of it, Superman brings the bad guys to this like, cabin on a mountain. And he's like, don't, don't leave here. I'll be back with provisions. And of course, as soon as he leaves, they try to, they try to leave and they fall to their deaths. And you know, it's, it's one of those episodes where I think a line for a lot of fans, it's like, you know, how responsible is he for their deaths? <laughs> Right. And I have my, I have a specific take on that, which I'll save for, for when we get there. It's, it's pretty favorable to Superman. I'll, I'll give a little preview of that. Um, but I, it's like that, I'm, I don't know, like in a lot of ways, this feels worse. I, like, yeah. it, but it's just funny to me, you know, again, a lot of people seem to gravitate towards that stolen costume scene, but it's like, no, like take a look at this show. I mean, it was a different, a different time, a different sense of morality. Yeah. Uh, and, but yeah, it was just like fascinating to see the, to see that on like to see the aftermath of of them beating this guy and you know it's like it, Clark doesn't bat an eye that, like we grew up and it's the bad guys are bad and they deserve you know they deserve justice and if they get beat up the bad guys are bad like i feel like we're you know we're always on looking at it through that lens and you know maybe back in the 50s this was like oh got to get the bad guy doesn't matter and you know we're looking at it like we said through this current modern lens but it's kind of <laughs> iffy it is and 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 like i won't i won't go on a long tangent about this but like john oliver he just recently did an episode on law and order and how it glorifies mm-hmm. law enforcement and promotes yep. this idea that like the police are you know always uh always have the best intentions they're always justified right. and so it was a whole thing uh but, you know, he like played a lot of clips, especially from SVU with the Elliot Stabler character. And it's like, you know, again, we're talking about something in the 50s, but now we're talking about something in the 90s, late 90s and 2000s. And it's like Stabler was always roughing up the criminals, yep. you know. So, again, that's something that's continued. But 
seeing it again, just seeing it here in the context of this show and this character was just sort of like, whoa, like I knew I had mentioned this in, I think our last episodes, I knew it was coming up. I didn't remember exactly when, but the first time I watched this show, that was one of the things where I was like, oh, okay. Like that's, that's really stood out. Uh, but anyway, f- however they get it, they get the information. And uh, of course, Clark changes into Superman and he's able to stop the plane. You know, we have, you know, stock footage of a plane taking off and then <laughs> Superman catching it is as close up as you can get. <laughs> you just see the very, Don't very even tail see him of getting plane. close out of the plane. Nothing. You hit that on the head. Stock footage. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it, it was what it was. We got a little bit of Superman action. And then we go to, I think, our you know, maybe our second favorite scene here where uh, <clears throat> Clark is breaking the code, a Rebus, a Rebus code. Rebus, yes. Uh, which, you know, I it's, uh, cryptology is not something that uh, I have a great passion of mine. I didn't really know anything about this. But, again, right. Clark knows it's this, it's this Rebus code. And this is where we get him at the chalkboard, breaking it all down for Lois and Henderson. And breaking it. Breaking the chalk as he's writing, the chalk keeps uh, keeps breaking. And I think it's Lois, right, who makes a comment about like, oh, I didn't know he had such an artist. Because he all those yeah. items that we mentioned before, he draws them. Yeah. Why? I don't know. <laughs> the biggest thing that stood out to me, dude, is, okay, so we got a toy automobile, an egg corn, a safety pin, a plastic cow, three pennies, an onion, and a dollar bill. So there were seven items. I get the Rebus thing, but how did he know which order to put it in? That's where this falls apart, I think. Yeah, like it's a it's a good idea, and it's you know and, you know people like word searches, crossword puzzles, any kind of puzzle. Like I love it's it almost reminded me of like a uh, excuse me <clears throat> like a Riddler type of thing, and I liked it, but it kind of fell flat because I'm like, well there's no order in which to tell you which way to do it. If we were going to go off, if they laid out all the shops or something and it made more sense, it's a good idea in theory to solve the puzzle this way, but it fell flat for me. I'm like, come on, Clark, like how do you know which way to put the, put it in order? So uh, I don't know. That kind of fell flat for me. Uh, I, I'm with you. I felt like this scene went on forever. Uh, especially yeah. as he was, <laughs> as he was <laughs> writing everything out. I was just, uh, but you know, it's, it's fine. I like, but like I said before, as far as, you know, why did he draw them? Because ultimately he needs the letters, right? right. Like he write he writes out the words, you know, that, that each item, uh, you know, corresponds to. And then again, like you said, he seems to know which order they go in and certain letters cancel out others. It's, it was like a whole yeah. thing. And then you end up with like a PO box number at the end. Right. Uh, so it felt like a huge stretch unless again, there's something I'm totally missing, uh, and the chalk yeah. just kept kept breaking that chalk. It'll <laughs> <laughs> not cut. Just like keep, just keep, keep going. going, George. Keep going, buddy. Yeah, I you know I like it's, it's cool to see Clark using his his mind. Yes, right, and showing that side. So that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, I don't know. so they find out that it's his PO box. They apprehend Martin. Uh, they open up the package that he he was taking out of the PO box. It's another one of these statues. Clark smashes it. It's this ruby. <laughs> Yeah, wait, what'd you say? It was a piggy bank. Piggy bank, yep. Uh, and so inside is this ruby that had been stolen a few years ago. And the little button at the very end of this is, uh, I guess Henderson says, like, thanks to Clark. And Lois says, like, and Superman, too. And Clark's like, well, you know what I always say, two heads are better than one. 
and he walks off and Henderson and like, it's a very, I feel like it's a very awkward moment at the end where they seem so confused slash put off. I don't, I don't know. What's your read on that? Like that moment between them. It was weird. Like, are we trying to subtly say that he's like two or I don't know. It was awkward. I don't really, I don't know. It was, I'm not saying it was off putting, but it was, it was a little awkward. Like it should have just been like, you're right. Bye. <laughs> yeah. They, like that's the thing they, cause look, a lot of these episodes end with some sort of hint, uh, you know, of, of him being yeah. Superman or something like yeah. that. Or how'd you get there so fast? Well, Lois, I flew, but you know, stuff like that. <laughs> but this, it just felt like I didn't understand why they were so again, confused slash put off by, by his comment. I don't know. I, mean, I might be nitpicking here, but again, it just felt like a little bit of an awkward button uh, at the end of this. You know, this was the episode, I, you know, after rewatching it and discussing it, you know, I will give our rating in a second, but, uh, yeah, I mean, how, how, how would you ultimately, uh, evaluate this episode? I'll go back to my previous comment. I think it was more of a filler episode. I wish after seeing it all the way to the end that we would have gotten a little bit of bait, a little bit of, um, in the direction, like maybe just, you know, a daily planet article saying, you know, Ruby has been stolen and, you know, an Easter egg, you know, at the very beginning or something like that, um, would have been kind of cool. And then it would have tied it back. And then we wouldn't have gotten super distracted with this Rebus type of thing. But I don't know, like that to me was like, um, man, they had a perfect Easter egg opportunity here to kind of just draw us in and, you know, Clark's going to think about this. Lois is thinking about it. And then all at the very, very end, you know, and maybe even like this Paul Martin guy could have been like, you know, he's, you know, he's had dealings in the past where he's involved with, you know, stolen goods of diamonds and rubies or something. I don't know. I felt like they could add a little bit more to the, to the story with dropping some things here or there, but overall it was, it was a filler episode. It was, it was fun though. I liked the two scenes and I liked the breaking of the chalk. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I, like there was stuff to enjoy. I mean, I can't, I mean, obviously I'm you know, rewatching all these episodes and <laughs> talking about them at length. So I can't help but compare. And you know, the one we just did two weeks ago was the case of the talkative dummy. And you know, there, that was a better, I felt like that was a much better constructed plot mm-hmm. and mystery it just felt like there was more more going on um that was the episode where you know midway through jimmy is stuck in the safe dangling from the building and we get the you know the mid episode superman rescue so it's like you had a little bit of a like a fun set piece you know in, in the middle of the episode to sort of you know yeah. pump you back up uh this just felt like you know it was very light on the superman action which again is fine for me usually i don't necessarily mind but i didn't think that the you know, what they were investigating was particularly compelling. Not And not that I'm expecting a groundbreaking mystery here, but just something right. to sort of keep you a little bit intrigued. And I felt like this was pretty light. Um, yeah. And the fact that I maybe, you know, maybe too, it's like, maybe this does make you appreciate like, what Jimmy brings to the proceedings because it's yep. like he's not there. Yeah. And Lois and Clark are separated for virtually the entire episode. So there's that too. So you get a lot of, you know, the, the Clark and Henderson pairing, which, you know, again, uh, your mileage may vary on that, but I think that's sort of what it comes down to for me for this one. I guess like an under undertone thing is, yeah, Lois and Clark are in competition for a story and, you know, neither one of them want to be bested, but you can see the, the general 
that Clark really does care about her because he is trying to figure this out and notice that she's been kidnapped or that she's missing. And, you know, that to me was kind of a saving grace for it. Like you can tell they're trying to develop the chemistry, which like you said, it's not a romance per se, but it's a good genuine, you know, friendship partnership that, you know, he obviously values and really wants to get to the bottom of it. So if anything carries it through, I think it's that. Well said. All right. On a scale of one to five fedoras, uh, how many would you give this episode? Three. Three. All right. Three. Is that bad? No, 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 no. I, well, that's, I mean, it lines up with what we were saying about it right down the middle. I feel like I, sh- I should give it a three as well, especially based on what I said too. But I I don't know, man. I think I'm going to go two, which is crazy because that's what I gave the Haunted Lighthouse. But like I said before, and I don't mean to re- rehash all of this, but with the Haunted Lighthouse it was so much that I just felt like it was such a poor choice to air second. But there mm-hmm. was a lot of interesting stuff going on in the episode, and there was a lot for us to talk about. I mean, not that there wasn't here. We had a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. But like, there yeah. was more meat on the bone, I felt, like with something like the Haunted Lighthouse. This, yeah. you know, we, we got what we could out of it, but I don't feel like there was as much there. So, you know, again, a few months ago before rewatching, if you had said like, oh, I would rate those equally, like, no, like I hated the Haunted Lighthouse, but I really came around a lot on that one. And I'm going to go two. I'm going to go two for this one. Nice. All right. Well, listen, that's it. Uh, in two weeks, uh, we'll be back with uh, the monkey mystery. And again, I'll be joined by Dan Greenfield from 13th Dimension. Um, I hope everyone checks out the Heroes Home Base podcast. Rich, really, thank you so much for, for rewatching and uh, having this conversation with me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for always thinking about me, man. Anytime we can get together and talk Superman, I'm super stoked and super excited and uh, love the show. Keep up all the great work, my man. And uh, one of these days we'll get together and have a nice bourbon, buddy. Amen. I look forward to that. So thank you, Rich. Thank you, audience. As always, I really appreciate it. Again, we'll be back in two weeks. Adventures await. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast, at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit flatsquirrelproductions.com for more. Thank you all.